Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. So our first scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 32 through 35. And now I commend you to God and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up in your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. The word of the Lord. I was born in the middle of the baby boom. Growing up in the 1960s, schools made use of new technology such as 35 millimeter film strips. Students would go around the room, in turn, each reading a caption of the slide. Sometimes the teacher would play a record containing the narration. And Steve Jobs thinks he's the one who created the idea of multimedia. (laughs) This same technology was brought into what we called back then Sunday school. My parents were members of a large church in our presbytery. We were not very regular attendees, and I did not interact much with the kids in my Sunday school class. Kids went to Sunday school while parents attended worship. We gathered in a large room, such as my kids did here in our kingdom, and then broke up into small groups where we watched film strips of Jesus and his disciples or read stories out of a book. Toward the end, all the kids from our grade level would gather for a small worship, which included a Bible reading, a hymn, the Lord's Prayer, and an offering. As we got older, toward junior high, what we now call middle school, kids would get a role in the worship, such as reading the Bible verse, or leading the prayer. Being that I was not a very regular attendee, I was never selected, understandably so, for such a role. But this is where I remember my earliest lesson about Christianity that was not related to either Easter or Christmas, and leads me to the title of this sermon. Before they passed the basket, someone would say, it is better to give than to receive. 
Nearly a half century later, I still find this to be my fundamental understanding of the teachings of Jesus Christ. At the end of the offering, the teacher would play the doxology, the same doxology that we use here many Sundays in our sanctuary. When I hear it played here, it reminds me of my wor early worship experience. Because this idea has been ingrained in me since childhood, I find it a very natural way of thinking. But this is not true for everyone. If you were here for one of Alex's very early sermons on Cain and Abel, he preached about the way of nature versus the way of grace. He concluded that selfishness and revenge are nature's way, while grace and forgiveness are God's way. Our propensity as human beings is to follow the way of nature because selfishness is built into our genes. It takes an active effort on our part to fight against this selfish propensity, and that is why we come on to church to hear about the way of grace. So when I think about the title of my sermon, it is better to give than to receive, I think of the desire to receive as nature's way, while the desire to give is God's way. The problem is most of our world is oriented toward encouraging the desire to receive rather than the desire to give. Take advertising, for example. The average American is exposed to nearly 3,000 advertisements every single day. Most of these advertisements are trying to convince you that you need to receive certain things to have a life that's worth living. Most of these things are totally unnecessary for your well-being. But we are made to feel that without receiving them, our lives will somehow be deficient. I'm very attuned to the role that advertising plays in our lives, and that's why when I see an advertisement that encourages giving, it sticks with me. In the early 1960s, our government started something called the Peace Corps. It targeted doctors, nurses, teachers, engineers, especially young people who could give up several years of their life for hard work, little pay, while serving in a third world country. However, they would take anyone make, willing to make the commitment, including a 69-year-old grandmother of a future president. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Carter. Exactly, Jimmy Carter, exactly. Hold on to that thought. I guess we'll get back to him. <laughs> TV stations were required to air a certain amount of public service announcements. I saw a number of these announcements broadcast during Saturday morning cartoons. Now tell me, this must not have been the best time to attract recent college graduates <laughs> and other young adults. Let me show you an example of such an announcement. 
Guess what the Hackett's are doing. Taking another cruise. No, they've joined the Peace Corps. You're kidding. What in the world is the Peace Corps doing? Peace Corps. It's creating food systems in Africa, building homes in Costa Rica, and fighting malaria in Asia. It's teaching math and learning French. It's working side by side. It's been tough. But for 25 years, the Peace Corps has been making a difference in the world. My goodness. Why, I had no idea. Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love. The tagline, the Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love, stuck with me because it helped me to understand that giving is more than simply writing a check. Giving requires you to invest your whole self, which is not easy. Most people are willing to give as long as the investment on their part is low. I call this easy giving. The reason why is because you don't have to do much and it makes you feel good. But when we look at the Christian view of giving, there is nothing easy about it. According to Jesus, you are not giving unless you are sacrificing something. The word sacrifice literally means to be made holy by surrendering a possession as an offering to God. Thus, in a real sense, Christian giving always means you are giving away something of intense value and you part with it because of your love for God. It doesn't matter whether it's time, talent, or treasure. Christian giving always comes from the heart. I remember when I was serving on the mission committee, someone said at a meeting, you must give of your heart before you can give of your wallet. Even though this is easier said than done, it is my experience that being involved with my time and talent does motivate me to contribute more financially than I would otherwise. Throughout my life, I've worked in groups on service projects, both inside and outside of church. Working with others can often turn a task you dislike or otherwise consider a burden into a joy. When my son was in Scouts, we worked on a number of service projects, and he learned that working together for the good of others could be enjoyable. Although my wife and I did participate in a fellowship group early in our membership, I have found the way I got to know people in this church was by working together on a committee or project. Fellowships groups may come and go, but the mission of this church and the work of Jesus Christ continues on. You may recall a line in the wedding song, Whenever two or more of you are gathered in his name, there is love. I believe that when we are doing our mission, whether it be pads, family night, service day, homebound communion, Stephen Ministries, or whatever the activity of service might be, God and Jesus are present, which leads me to the one primary ways I have tried to give of myself fully. In order to explain this to you, I first need to tell you a short story. Millard Fuller was a successful businessman 
whose health failed him at a relatively young age. He survived and determined that he would repay God by trying to eliminate poverty housing. He wrote a book titled No More Shacks that outlined his development of the Habitat for Humanity concept, which uses volunteer labor, donated materials, and sweat equity to create decent, affordable housing for people considered to be poor. One Labor Day, I saw a news TV story featuring former President Jimmy Carter, not in a studio wearing a suit and tie advocating for something, but in blue jeans, flannel shirt, and hard hat, working at Habitat for Humanity. The former president lent his time, talent, and treasure, which enabled Habitat for Humanity to grow. At the age of 95, he is still showing up at Habitat events. Today, Habitat for Humanity obtains much funding and many volunteers from major corporations such as those that many of us work for. Several years after coming to First Pres, there was a table at mid-hour about interest in Habitat for Humanity. I signed up and went to a meeting and afterwards spoke to the pastor about my interest. And guess what? I was invited to another meeting of our mission committee. I became the first press representative to a group of neighboring churches in Arlington Heights getting involved with the uptown chapter of Habitat for Humanity and working on a rehab project in Rogers Park. And yes, that involved some more meetings. It was in early December for our first workday with Habitat. We performed demolition and I spent much of the day tearing down drywall, removing studs, and carrying debris down several flights of stairs and climbing back up afterwards. At the end of the day, we gathered in the tool room and the foreman led us in prayer. When he said, to, said thank you for these people who came to help, I thought to myself, no, it is we who must thank you for this opportunity to do God's work. For several years, we have talked a lot about being known as a Matthew 25 church. In order to become that kind of church, we must keep Christian giving in the forefront of our minds. We must learn to give from our hearts. And when we give from our hearts, we give as an act of sacrifice for those who are the least and the lost. Admittedly, this is not easy. But for those who want to journey down the path, we must, one, follow God's way. Two, learn to seek the joy of giving rather than getting. Three, follow God's way of giving, not nature's way of receiving. For this is God's way. This is Jesus' way. And my prayer for all of us this morning, including myself, is that we will continue to experience the joy of knowing it is better to give than to receive 
in whatever we do. And as Alex would say, to that I say, Alleluia, Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.